I'm uh, continuing on this morning our series on living with a wounded heart or a wounded spirit. And, uh, you know, I was reading this morning Psalm 109. And in Psalm 109, David is, is pouring out his heart to God. Uh, deep within his soul, there is a pain that was unrelenting. And he's crying out to God because friends had turned against him. People that he had deeply trusted had betrayed him. He uh, had been falsely accused and misrepresented. And he's pouring this out in the presence of God from a pain deep down inside of him that would not let go. And when you read it, particularly if you read it across a number of translations, you get different expressions of perhaps the depth of the pain that he was feeling in his inner man. But those he had drawn strength from, those whom he had found encouragement from, had abandoned him. Rejection uh, had inflicted an incredibly deep wound to King David's soul. And the feelings of that pain were rising up and overtaking him. And we come to verse 21 where he cries out to the Lord and says, Help me for your namesake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. You know, I I don't know about you, but like David, I can identify to a certain extent what he was feeling in those moments of challenge, in those moments of deep inner turmoil, discouragement, disappointment, disillusionment. I I can identify, and and I believe there are people in our meeting this morning who at some time through your life, you have experienced the feeling of being deeply wounded. Disappointment has perhaps... Yeah, penetrated your heart more than you realize. Relationships have failed. Finances have, have diminished and perhaps there's even been major financial setbacks that have left you uh, wondering where the hand of God is in your journey, in your, your circumstances, in your trip through life. Perhaps you too have found yourself like David crying out, God, Deliver me. God, invade my circumstances. Invade my inner world. God, bring your strength. Bring your peace. Bring your provision. I I believe that there are people right across this auditorium who throughout your journey of life, you have experienced things like betrayal, rejection, and so many other challenges that have inflicted deep critical, sometimes even fatal wounds upon your inner man. But we shouldn't be surprised by those situations. We shouldn't be overwhelmed or taken aback or, or perhaps allow the wind to be taken out of our sails because of those situations, those disappointments, those those deep wounds that have been inflicted. We shouldn't be surprised when it happens because Jesus said very, very clearly in uh, John chapter 16 and verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say 
pray that as you go through life from this point on that you won't have any trouble. He just said it very plainly, guys, brace yourself. Because in this world, in this life, particularly the life of kingdom service and kingdom purpose and pursuing the call of God upon your life and serving my plan, the church that I'm building, he said, you will have trouble. Brace yourself, prepare yourself, expect it because it's, it's going to happen. And if you approach life with that kind of a perspective, I believe you have a far better chance of overcoming those times when they come. You have a far better opportunity when you, you are aware, when you keep your wits about you, when you know that, that the devil is on a mission in this world to steal, kill and destroy and you and I are his target. He, uh, he is on a mission in this world. The Bible tells us that his entire mission in this world, his sole mission in this world is to steal, to kill and destroy. And he does that by targeting our heart, by targeting our, our inner world and inflicting severe and deadly wounds upon our soul. Wounds that are cleverly designed to cripple us and to, to discourage us from continuing the pursuit of the purpose of God for our life. He will target our emotions. He will target our confidence. He will target our faith. He will target our, our sense of purpose and value. And he will target our belief in the goodness of God. He will do everything he can to discourage us from, from pursuing the, the, the thing that God has created, the thing he made us for. He will do everything he can to, to punch the wind out of our, our bread basket. So, I haven't used that expression for a long, long time. He, he, he wants us down never to get back up again. And if he can't inflict a wound directly upon you, he'll target your spouse. If he can't get to you, he'll target your kids. He'll target your, your finances. He will target your relationship. And his relentless goal is to kill your desire, your passion for pursuing the purpose of God. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. Many of you have gone through stuff. What the devil did to Job was horrendous. It was wicked. You, you read that man's story in the opening chapter of Job. You've only got to read Job chapter 1 to get the whole picture of what that man went through. And, and what the devil did highlights what he is capable of doing in our life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Expect it. What the devil did to that man, Job, is, is wicked. Um, but he's still alive. He's still active. He's still out there trying to crush our motivation, trying to steal our confidence that God will fulfill his promise, that God will bring us through to the other side, that he is the good shepherd who guides, directs, and leads. And when we are wounded, he is still the greatest healer that you will ever know. When the devil inflicts a wound, if you're walking closely with Jesus, he heals as instantly as you've been wounded. But if you walk away from him and you walk life separate from him, you'll carry that wound, it will fester, it will become poisonous, and it will cripple you from becoming all God wants you to become. We have to learn. We have to learn how to stay close to the healer and how to trust God with our wounds. Exodus chapter 34 Verse 28, 
Moses is on the mountain with the Lord. And he, we read here that he remained on the mountain, remained on the mountain with the Lord. Moses walked close to God. The closer you walk to God, the greater chance you've got of making it through this life. Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. In all that time, he ate no bread and drank no water. The Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had been with the Lord. He wasn't aware that something miraculous took place in that encounter, in that moment with God, where his, his countenance shone with the presence of the Lord. When Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, three million of them, approached him. What a crowd. What a crusade. And Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. That's how radiant his face had become. And whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him. And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. When our countenance shines the goodness of God, when our countenance shines the glory of God, when our countenance shines the presence of God as an indicator that we're doing life with God, we're not serving God, we're serving with God, we're not building his church, we're building his church with him. We are co-laborers, we're meant to do life in intimate connection, abiding in the vine. When we When we do that, our countenance will shine, our face, something will happen. When you do life out of the presence of God, from the presence of God, out of an intimate connection daily on a a regular basis, walking with Him, your influence will increase. The people of Israel came near to him because Moses had come down from the Lord and gave them instruction. There was was an influential impact. But if you're not walking close to Jesus, when the inflictions come, when the destroyer comes, when the enemy comes to, to steal, kill and destroy, and you allow the troubles and the pain to fester, and like David, his, his emotions were trying to overtake him, but he crawled back into the presence of God. Crawled back into the presence of God and said, deliver me, God. Get me through this. Get me out of this. He said, my wounds are deep within me. You know, and we all know the outcome of David's life. He got through. He fulfilled his call. He was a great leader. He was probably the best king Israel had ever known. And he was only the best king with all of his weaknesses, with all of his flaws, because he did life out of a close connection with the healer. He didn't, he didn't live life with poison in his spirit. Every time he was bitten by the snake, he got into the presence of God and the, and the presence of God sucked that venom right out of his system. That's how we've got to do life. But when our countenance shines the troubles of life and the pains of life and the difficulties and the challenges of life, we will still be deeply influential 
but in a very, very negative sense. It's only in the presence of the Lord that true and deep wholeness is found and sustained. Psalm 23 is one of my favourite psalms. I love it. It talks about the Lord being a shepherd. The Bible says we are sheep. And like sheep, we all go astray. We all find ourselves in a mess. We all find ourselves in a struggle. And David, again, he sits with his pen in the presence of God and he begins to describe the intimacy, the connection that he lived life with God. And in Psalm 23, verse 1, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall lack no good thing. I shall have everything I need when I need it. And if any, any enemy comes against me, the Lord will protect me. If I am wounded, the Lord will heal me. He is a good God. He is a shepherd who carries the wounded lamb on his shoulders. And he treats the lamb and tends the lamb and cares for the lamb and protects the lamb. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He takes me to the best places where my soul will be restored, where my inner man will be healed. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. You know, the presence of the Lord is what holds everything together. You know, I've had moments in my life where I have felt so smashed by, by ministry, by church leadership, by pursuing the purpose of God. But you know something? When I get back into the presence of the Lord, he, He's unique. He's a master at what has fallen apart, putting it all back together again. I was at our, our granddaughter's birthday party yesterday and I'm sitting at the table and they had puzzles and I'm helping put the puzzle together. And I found it really hard. They got the puzzle in a Happy Meal. It was only about that big. And I'm thinking, this is really difficult. And I could not find pieces to go. The kids are finding them faster than me. You know? And sometimes our life can be like a puzzle that's just all fallen apart. And you think, God, I don't know which side's up. I don't, know. I don't know which bit goes together. I don't know how to get out of this. But he does. He does. And when we just get back into the presence of God, he's a master at finding the right piece of the puzzle at the right time and putting us back together. He holds everything together. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 says, He existed before everything else and he holds all creation together. He holds all creation together. When I feel like I'm falling apart, he is great at pulling me back together. When my emotions are out of whack, when my thinking has lost the plot and I'm, I've got stinking thinking and it's just not good, it's not healthy. When I get back into the presence of God, He brings back the alignment. You know, it's the presence of God that will get us through a wounded spirit. It's the presence of God that will heal us and restore us. In the Amplified Version of Colossians 1.17, we read, He Himself existed and is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. His is the controlling, cohesive force of the universe. This, in, this includes the integrity of my inner world. It includes the emotional part of my life, the 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 wounded part of my life that life will inflict upon me, he holds everything together. He is the cohesive force in the universe, my emotions, my feelings, my well-being. When, when I walk through the pains of the, and the troubles of life hand in hand with Jesus, he holds me together. And as fast as the wounds are inflicted, he heals and restores when our spirit is wounded and left untreated, we lose sight of who we truly are. 
We lose perspective. When you read Psalm 109, it's a fascinating read. It's, it's really bad thinking that David has sunk into. And I've been there. And as I read it, I think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who has this, this negative, poisonous thinking at times that, that the enemy just starts to fuel in my inner world. You read it. David is, is resentful. He is bitter. He wants vengeance. He wants his enemies to pay for what they have done. And I think, God, I've been there. But then he comes to this place. He says, God, help me. God, deliver me. And I think he's really saying, deliver me from myself. Deliver me from this pit that I have sunk into with the, the jealousies and the resentment and the frustration that these people have. They were my friends and they left me, is what he says. That they, they were people I trusted, people I lent on, and they've abandoned me, they've rejected me. They're now telling lies about me, they're now misrepresented. It's all in there, Psalm 109. And he's saying, God, visit them with your avenging power. Ooh, I think, yes. And then I think, no. And then David comes to that point where he also says, no, God, this is not, I shouldn't be thinking like this. God, come, heal and restore me. When we know who we truly are and we have a, a clear picture and perspective of, of we are sons and daughters of God. We are not just servants of God. We are family. To them, he gives the right to become children of God. Yeah, I'm a servant of God, but I'm not a slave. I'm a son and I serve as a son. A son in the house has far greater privileges, far greater access than a servant who lives out in the shed. I am a son of God. And when I get a clear revelation that I am a son of God with an inheritance that would blow our minds, that it would blow, you know, James Packer, who's got so much money, it would make his money look like a piggy bank. God, is, God has got so much and I'm his son. And when I get a revelation of that, something rises on the inside of me and I begin to walk tall. I walk with my head up. I look the world in the eye and I, I've got this sense of confidence. God, you've called me. You've empowered me. You've equipped me. You've sent me. And I've got the authority and I've got the, the, the unction. I've got the Holy Spirit inside of me to be and do all that you've called me to be and do. I need a revelation that I'm a son of God, anointed, and the anointing of God lives inside of me is what the Bible says. Whether I feel it or not, I can draw on that well that is deep within my inner man. It's because Jesus is holding my hand and then another arrow hits me in the heart. And, oh, you think, oh, that hurt. And he said, but in this world, you will have trouble. But he reaches around, he pulls the arrow out. He touches it like he did the, 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 the high priest servant's ear and heals it instantly. And I think, God, you're going to get me through this. But if I'm wounded and I'm alone and I'm not walking close to him, you know, I'll pull the arrow out myself and I'll bleed all over the place. It'll get infected. It'll get dirt in it. But when I stay close to him, can you, can you hear what I'm trying to say? We need a revelation of who we are. When we have a revelation of who we are, we will never be jealous of anyone else. We'll never be jealous of anyone else's giftings. We'll never feel intimidated by the successes of others. I will have a revelation of what I'm made to do, what I'm called to do. So many people in this auditorium are so gifted in ways that I'm not. And I thank God for you. I think, I don't know how you do what you do. I, look, I, I do not have fashion sense, and I, I readily admit that. I've got more than Jono has, but, but I don't have fashion sense. Is that true, Kerry? Oh, no comment. 
My wife does. And you might not know this, but she dresses me. I'm not capable of dressing myself. Um, you know, I, I, well, I can to a certain extent now because I've learned. Now, the last time she dressed me, I had that on with that, with that, so that'll work. I don't know. So I, I can just get by if she disappears for a little while. But you know, when I get a revelation of what I'm called to do, and I do that with all my heart, you know, that's how the body functions, and that's how the body's so successful. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the world, the universe, the whole of creation is groaning, awaiting the revelation, the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. When we get a revelation of who we are, that we are, we are not just servants serving kingdom purpose. We are family. We are the family of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. When we get a revelation of that, we will shine in this world. Our gifting will be a blessing to this world and creation will rejoice because I, I'm now rising as a son of God and the world can see I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I'm full of the power of heaven and, and I'm called to do what I'm called to do as you're called to do what you are called to do. I'm going to say something to you, and I want you to listen very, very carefully to this. God will take responsibility for fulfilling his promises. No doubt about it. He will take full responsibility for fulfilling his promises, but he will not take responsibility for fulfilling your potential. Selah. Pause and think about that. He will take responsibility for fulfilling his promises, but he will not take responsibility to fulfill your potential. In the book of Joshua, I love the opening chapter of Joshua. I've preached out of this a number of times over the years, but he's telling Joshua, do not be afraid. Be of good courage. Do not fear. Lift up your eyes. Look and see as far as you can see. Wherever you can put your feet, I'm going to give you that land. It's yours. I w- it was a promise from God. And God was going to take responsibility for fulfilling that promise. He says, everywhere you go, from the mountains to the sea, from the valley out to the, to the hilltops, he said, all the way from the west to the east and north, I'm going to give you every place you can put your feet. I will make this happen. And no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. But there's something in that chapter that I never saw before. And it's an amazing little revelation. In verse 8 of Joshua chapter 1, he says, Joshua, this book of the law, the word of God, the Bible, the promises of God, the values of God, the principles, the precepts of God shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to follow it to be obedient to it, to do according to all that is written in it. Look at this. For then you will make your way prosperous. Not God. Not God. God is not the one who makes our way prosperous. That, that might rattle some of you. Oh, I'm only prosperous because of Jesus. Well, yeah, to a certain extent. But if I'm not following Jesus, if I'm in church but I'm not in Christ, I am not going to be prosperous. Well, God gave me this. God gave me that. God blessed me with this. God will not fulfill your potential. You will make your way prosperous by following him. A choice to follow his word, to live by his word, to embrace his values, his principles. And when we do that, we will be prosperous. And and the key to prosperity is not money. 
It's prosperity in your soul. If I'm living with an open wound in my inner world and it's poisonous and it's infected and I'm bitter and twisted on the inside, that is not a prosperous way to live. It's a miserable way to live. But when I'm walking close to Jesus and I'm following his word and I'm applying his principles in my life, I will then make my way prosperous. God does not make my way prosperous. It's me using the tools that he has given me in cooperative partnership with him that I will make my way prosperous. It's a classic Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the word of God. I've got to feed on the word of God. You know, the word of God is one of the greatest antiseptics, the washing of the water of the word. The washing. One of the first things they do when they take you to hospital with an open wound is they clean it. They wash it. They clean it to get all bacteria, dirt, any kind of germs out of that wound. And then they cover it with an antiseptic. You know, the word will wash your spirit. It'll wash your soul. It'll wash away the, the, the festering infections that get inside of us. He sits not in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the word of God. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. It doesn't say, blessed is the man who just sits in the presence of the Lord and does nothing, but just sits there, God will make his way. No, it's the one who meditates on the word day and night, the one who, who is entrenched in it, the one who embraces its values and, and knows it and embraces its, its truth and applies it in life. That one will make his way prosper. You can sit and go, okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. If God wants to bless me, he will. If he doesn't, he won't. No, my Bible says that if I don't sit in the seat of sinners and engage with those that are critical and cynical and poisonous and twisted, but I, my delight is in the word of God, I will make my way prosper. Joshua, he said, I will give you every, and if you want to prosper, this is what I need you to do. And if you do that, then you will make your way prosper. I'm going to start wrapping up with this one last thought. In Exodus chapter 8, we read in verse 8, Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged, plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. Remember the plagues? That Moses brought upon, there was blood in the Nile, there was locusts, there was hail, it was just, it was devastating. One plague after another was devastating. And he said, uh, he sent a plague of frogs. There were frogs everywhere. Frogs. They were in the beds, they were in the cupboards, they were in the pantry, they were in the toilet, they were in the bath, they were everywhere you could go. Frogs, every, slimy. I hate frogs. I hate them. They're, they're horrible. I will not pick up a frog. I don't like them. They're, they're horrible. But they were everywhere. They were in the clothes. They put a pair of jeans on. There'd be a frog in the leg of the, the pants. They were frogs everywhere. It was so bad that Pharaoh, the king, his palace is riddled with fro frogs. And he'd had enough. He couldn't take it anymore. So he calls Moses and he says, you know, 
Take the frogs away from me and my people. I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said, watch this. Moses says, okay, you set the time. When do you want the frogs to be removed? Uh, If I was Pharaoh, I'd have said right now. Just do it. Make it happen. Do whatever it is. But, But Pharaoh says, do it tomorrow. He wants one more night with the frogs. And it's like, when I read that, I just thought, you know, we are so like that. You know, we have all these pains in our life, all of this stuff in our life that's holding us back, that's festering in our soul, that is poisoning our inner world. And and if your inner world's poisoned, your outer world's going to be affected greatly by it because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, so his life goes. And we are so like Pharaoh where it's like, oh, I've got these problems and these people have done this to me. And it's like, well, get into the presence of God. Yeah, well, I, I need to do that. I really do need to do that. I don't want to live like this anymore. I can't stand the pain. I can't stand the wound. I can't stand the thinking. You know, I'm, I'm tossing and turning at night. And it's like, well, get into the presence of God. Yeah, I need to do that. I'll do that tomorrow. We, we just continue on with the frogs. And it's like, what a stupid man. You know, Moses said, please, Moses, take the frogs away. All right, tell me when you want it done. Do it tomorrow. It's like, no, do it now. Do it now. Let's get into the presence of God now. Let's get into the Word of God now. Let's bite the bullet and put the pain behind and let the healer in to realign, to cleanse, to, to you know, pour on the antiseptic and the balm and the, and the bandages and what, so that I can start to rise up and become a son of God again, a child of God with so much potential that He will not fulfill. He's made promises over your life, but He won't take care of your potential. We have to do that. We've got to rise up. Don't have one more night with the frogs. Make a decision today. I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm, I'm going to push forward now and I'm going to make a difference now. I'm going to let go of this stuff now. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow because we all know tomorrow never comes because when tomorrow comes, it's not tomorrow, it's today. Tomorrow's always in front of us. If we keep saying, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. Today is today, yesterday. This is the tomorrow that we talk, talked about yesterday. And you do know that the, the day after that is the day after tomorrow that we talked about the day before yesterday. If you're taking notes, write that down. <laughs> we too can be just like Pharaoh. We've got to put off and put off and put off and put off. We've got to stop putting off. If you're wounded, if you're hurting, the greatest thing you can do is get back into the presence of God. Get back into the Word of God. Make a daily ritual where where you will not do life one moment longer without doing it out of that intimate connection with Him. He knows how to put us back together. He holds the universe together. When we were out in Kambora, just west of Walgett, we had a barbecue and a fire under the stars. There's more stars out there than there are in the city. Did you know that? I don't know how they ended up with more than we got. We only got a few on the coast. They got a whole heap out there. It's amazing just how many stars are out there. And you, you get away from the campfire and you look up into the dark night and it's like millions and millions and millions just, just in our galaxy. 
just in our solar system. It, it, it's mind-blowing. And then you think, he holds all that together. If he can hold all that together, he can heal my inner wound. He can restore. He can rebuild. He can remake. He can remodel. He can cause me to then rise up and help someone else in their woundedness. But if I'm wounded, I'm bleeding all over the place, what good am I to anyone else? You ever been on an aeroplane where you're taxiing towards the runway and the steward or stewardess comes on and just says in the unlikely event of an emergency, oxygen masks will fall from the ceiling, secure your mask first and then help others. It's very unchristian. Me first. <laughs> Take care of me first. You know, if really, if we were Christians, we'd be putting masks on everybody else and holding their breath. We probably wouldn't even use the oxygen. We'd give it to someone else. But when you really look at it, it's like, if I'm not breathing, I'm no good to anyone else. If I'm wounded and festering and resentful and poisonous, how am I going to help somebody else? It's the blind leading the blind. Jesus said we both fall into a ditch. All we'll end up doing is fueling each other's pain, fueling each other's resentments, fueling each other's, other's you know, inner, inner world. We've got to get into the presence of God first, and then out of that we can help others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that your hand is upon us and that your heart is to walk with us, to journey through the challenges, the trials, the troubles, the calamities, the setbacks, the disappointments, the rejections, the betrayal. Your heart, Lord, is to is connect with our heart and let your healing flow. Touch every fibre of our being. And I, I pray, Lord, that as a church, we would continue to rise individually, as members of the body of Christ, we would rise to new levels of healing and wholeness because the greatest gift we can give this broken world is our personal wholeness. A demonstration that you are a great healer. Lord, scars are a testimony to a follower of Jesus of the ability of God to heal the deepest of wounds. Scars are a testimony, Lord, of your your ability to sustain us. Scars are a testimony of this is what I overcame. This is what I got through. And Jesus, you got me through by being my shepherd, guiding me through the valley of the shadow of death and bringing me out the other side. Lord, I pray that we become followers of Jesus, people who, who chase after the presence of God, people who pursue the touch of God, the voice of God, the embrace of God, the kiss of God. Lord, let us become a church that that will not move one inch further without your presence, without your clarifying voice to everything we do. And Lord, for those that are bleeding, those that are wounded, those that have perhaps like David in Psalm 109 have, have suffered the pain of life. I I pray, Lord, that as they get into your presence, they will feel that that healing flow that will enable them to rise above the resentment, rise above the bitterness, above the jealousies, above the hatred. I pray, Lord, that they would rise also above the fear of being hurt again and learn to take the risk. Only this time with their eyes open that in this world, 
we will have trouble. It will happen again. People will hurt us again. Life will disappoint us again. But I'm not going to let it stop me from fulfilling my potential. I will meditate in your word day and night. I will embrace the principles of the book and pursue you with a passion.